You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. I wanted to use this today because uh, I have two versions on here, and I'm going to read this scripture out of both versions. Uh, this is uh, 1 Peter 5, uh, 6 through 11. It's, uh, the King James says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, will make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. And I love the way this is written in the NLT. I like the New Living Translation. It says, So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty power of God, and at the right time He will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Give the Lord praise for that. Hallelujah. How many of you have ever been on an airplane flight? Anybody? All right. Bunch of us. Okay. If you've ever been on an airplane flight, you have probably uh, experienced being around someone with excessive baggage, especially when you're sitting in your seat and everybody's bringing their stuff in. You know, the airplane companies... They have a, a means of taking care of your baggage. You're supposed to check your bags at the gate, and they put them away. They store them for you, okay? They take them off your hands. But, and, and usually you're allowed to carry like a small carry-on or something like that. But you know, some people, they just have a hard time letting go of their baggage. They just don't want to let go of it. They want to take it with them. Maybe they're trying to save a little money, too, nowadays, because used to, it was, it was a little cheaper to uh, check your bag. But, uh, they, and, and then they, they got up there bumping up against you. I mean, you know, you're crowded, and then you finally get seated, and they start trying to stuff that stuff up next to yours. How many of you know other people's baggage does have a tendency to kind of cause you problems at times? Huh? We got a few bags up here today. And today's message is entitled, Unpacking Your Baggage. And it may be more therapeutic than it is spiritual today, to be quite honest, because I am a mental health counselor. But I do believe with all my heart that God planned for this service to be today. So if you're here, God brought you here for a reason. You're ordained to be here today. 
And uh, I want to talk a little bit about some of these bags first. Uh, you know, people's bags are, we, we keep our bag, this one here, pretty hard, you know, hard shell. I mean, sometimes we take our bags and, I mean, we, 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 keep, we want to keep our stuff protected. You know, we have that hard exterior that people can't really break through. Sometimes it looks like, uh, i seen one over here I thought that kind of looked like leather, uh, you know, but sometimes it just looks like really thick skin, you know. It's like, man, I can handle it. You know, I, I don't need any help. I don't need to worry about my stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm strong enough that uh, nobody's going to ever hurt me again. Nobody's going to penetrate this out, outward shell. I've got my stuff well protected. And so sometimes it's like a really hard case. Uh, you know, sometimes, huh? Sometimes we, uh, our, our, our stuff and our baggage is uh, kind of protected in, uh, you know, something a little more attractive, you know? Sometimes we try to hide our stuff with our, with our attractiveness or our, our looks or our beauty or our femininity perhaps, you know? Um, that's, uh, that's who I am perhaps. Or maybe, here's one, guys. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we take our, our stuff and we tend to uh, try to hide it in our work, you know? Um, Self-identity. This is who I am, you know? This is when I feel good. This is my self-worth. As long as I'm doing my job, as long as I'm showing up and I'm making the money and I'm bringing home the bacon, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm a carpenter. I'm a plumber. I'm a whatever. And, and, and if we're not careful, our self-worth and our self-identity is so caught up in our work that we forget that, you know what, this is an eight-hour thing right here. This is not a 24-hour thing. Other people in our life need us to be something other than this. Are y'all following me? We're going to do, I listen to Jim Cimbala. He does Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. And he's from New York, and he says sometimes, he said, we're going to do real talk. Real talk. Today we're going to do real talk. Can y'all handle it? All right? And so sometimes if we're not careful, man, we hide all our stuff behind our work, and that's who we are. You know, I've had guys in my groups before, and when I try to get them to tell me, uh, you know, uh, about their life or their past or whatever, it's all about their work or how much money they made. And I'll be like, no, no, I don't want to know that. I want to know, you know, what was your, well, I, you know, I used to work at such and such. And I mean, I could ask them four or five times. You know, I, I don't, I'm not concerned about your job. I, you know, tell me something else. Well, I, you know, I bought a nice house, you know. It's like our money and our job tends to be a, a cover-up for the stuff that's really going on inside of us. Young people have baggage. Young people have baggage. I, I, was, I started to tell my, grand, or my daughter to bring one of my little grandson's uh, little knapsacks. They're on, my oldest one's only four. But you know what? There's little bitty kids that's got baggage. Uh, brother, pastor and his wife, they can attest to that. People that's done foster care work. Uh, I used to work, you know, do a lot of work for DFS as a counselor. And I can tell you that I've met little kids who have more baggage than anybody in this room. 
in a few short years, three, four, five years, they've already accumulated so much baggage in their life that it'll take them the rest of their life to unpack it. Youth, teenagers, they got baggage, man. You know? It's just because they're young and they got their life ahead of them does not mean that they don't have stuff going on inside of them that needs to be unpacked. Things that are, are plaguing them. Concerns, worries, uncertainties, uh, fears, uh, insecurity. All these things that take place when we're sitting there trying to figure out how life's going to be for us. How's it going to work out? Am I going to find the one that I'm really supposed to be with? Is this the one I'm supposed to be with? What's my, what job am I supposed to have? What career do I need? Baggage tends to pile up inside of us. If we're not careful, we try to figure out how to deal with that baggage in a wrong way. And so we end up drinking, using drugs, having a lot of sex, whatever. Sometimes, sometimes, some people, <laughs> you know, we like to take our bags with us. Huh? Come on. I ain't leaving my bags at home, huh? My bags go where my go. Man, this thing needs a little. My bags go where I go. Huh? They put wheels on it just so you can keep your bags handy. Now, this one's interesting because this bag comes with bags. I mean, we got baggage. You ever know anybody like that? Their baggage has got baggage. Huh? I mean, check it out. I, I, let's see. Yeah, man, I got, what's with these wires? Okay, here we go. I'm trying to figure out where the zipper's at on this thing. Mm-hmm. I want to find it. Hang on. Stick with me a second. All right. Oh, here we go. Oh. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's some of that attractive, thick skin baggage there. Okay, yeah, and I guess this is, this over here, I need, where's Kurt at, I need a helper, all right, let's see, this, uh, you know, I, I was really hoping I had a better one of these, but I guess for lack of a better word, you could, every couple, every couple should be aware of this. I mean, this is what you call an overnight bag. <laughs> huh? Come on now. You know, you might, your bag might not last long, but it's going to be there for a couple of days. Are y'all following me? Can I hear all the men say, uh-huh? And the women say, amen. You know, every once in a while we get short-term baggage. And, uh, but, you know, it's really not short-term because most usually it just shows up occasionally. It's not really short term, it's really there all the time. We haven't unpacked it, but occasionally it shows up. And so when it does, it becomes much more prevalent and present than, we, than it does on some other. In other words, we have some good days and some bad days. This one over here, I brought this one. When my brother died in 2004, my brother was, a, was an awesome individual. He, had a, he was very talented. He used to uh, design wheelchairs for little kids that have spina bifida and, and other uh, abnormalities in, in the Dallas Independent School District in Texas. And he was a very talented individual and very loving, kind, compassionate person, but he had a lot of personal problems. 
He was an alcoholic for one thing. He had been married five times for something else. So relationship-wise, he didn't do real well. And so when he passed away, I went to, I went to Dallas, and I was the person that had to go through. And, and me and him had always been like that our entire life. And, and I had to go through his apartment, you know, and disperse his belongings, etc. And, and he had a trunk that looked exactly like this one with a lock on it. And inside that trunk was full of pornography. Magazines, videos, DVDs, some he made himself, other, many others he bought, purchased, whatever. It was stuck in the back of his closet. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Baggage, man. Baggage. We all got baggage. How many of you know that? When I was, uh, when I was going through my counselor program at AGTS there in Springfield, I'm going to come up here and sit down today. But when I was going through my counselor program at AGTS, I had a, I had a professor who uh, uh, told, told us one time, she said, uh, she said, you know, everybody's uh, neurotic. Everyone is. If you don't think you are, then that just makes you that much more. <laughs> because we all got quirks. We all have problems. We all have baggage. You can't help but have baggage. The problem is, is what kind of baggage do you have, how excessive it is, and what are you doing with it, see? I mean, you can't live life without accumulating some, some issues. That's just the way it is. Life is like that. But is it, are you actually dealing with your issues, or has it been something that's been plaguing you that you've never dealt with? I, you know, I've, I've been real transparent about a lot of my issues. Man, I was an addict for 13 years. You know, uh, heavy drug and alcohol user. You know, there was a period, of, I mean, pornography resurfaced in my life a number of times. It was a zombie that I just seemed like I couldn't put in the grave and keep there, but I finally did, thank God, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And, uh, but, you know, it didn't start there, man. It started way back in my past, and most people's baggage begins in their past, you know. It, and it usually, most usually, not always, uh, but a lot of times it goes all the way back to your parenting, the way you were parented. You're, you're, and and, and I, honestly, a lot of it has to do with your relationship with your dad. You know, my dad was a minister for 67 years, a great man of God. My mom and dad were Christians. I mean, they were not Christians on Sunday. They were Christians every day. And, you know, and they were not hypocritical. They lived exactly what they believed. And he sacrificed uh, for his family and did everything that he could to do what was right by us. But you know what? I told my wife not long ago, I think it was around Father's Day, I got to thinking about my dad, you know. And I, and I thought, man, you know, my dad was a great man and he loved his family. And he was not abusive in any way or anything like that. But I, I told my wife, I said, you know, I look back on my life uh, uh, and I can never remember one meaningful conversation I ever had with my father. Not one. I can't think of one conversation where we, had, we sat down and talked and he impacted my life in some way. Now I can tell you a bunch of them that I had with my mom, you know. But with my dad, it was always, don't fool with that. You're going to break it. You know, you're going to hurt yourself. Quit doing that. You're going to poke somebody in the eye. I mean, it was, you know, he was like, you know, uh, we, we have a joke around our, you know, with our, me and my grandkids, they call me Baby Osha, you know, because I'm like, that could fall over. Don't do that. that he could climb up on that. You know, I'm like, am I the only person keeping this child alive? Like, Hello, you know. And do you people not see any of this stuff, you know? And, 
<laughs> Baggage from the past. You know, I can remember when I, in my, I, my, when I was eight years old, you know, and we grew up poor. I grew up in Oak Cliff, which is South Dallas, and uh, most white people don't live there no more. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, it's okay. It was, it was a low-income neighborhood. You know, it's mostly Hispanic now, to be honest. And, uh, but, and it, uh, but when I grew up, you know, it was very segregated. And um, it was, uh, but we were all broke. We were all poor, you know. And, and when I was eight years old, I, I didn't really realize we were poor until I was eight. I had my eighth birthday. And I remember my dad, I think it was my dad, came to me that day. And he told me, he said, son, we don't have any money. So we're not going to be able to get you nothing for your birthday. Well, my dad, he liked to kind of like trick you, you know. He was one of those, he'd tell you that, and then he'd have a bicycle in the closet, you know. I mean, and I thought, yeah, right, okay, Dad, you know. And so I went to school that day, and I got home. I, honestly, I don't even think I got a cake. I mean, we had dinner. My mom cooked whatever food we had, you know, and I kept waiting, man. Kept waiting for something to come out of the closet, underneath the bed, something, something. And I remember my mom putting me to bed that night with tears in her eyes. And she goes, I'm sorry, sweetie. I'm sorry I couldn't do anything for your birthday. And I laid there. And I thought, man, we're poor. Because <laughs> I knew my parents loved me. And I knew if they could have done something, they would have. You know? And then when I was in the fifth grade, you know, I, I got glasses, you know? And anybody ever get glasses in, when you were young at school? I don't know what it's like now, okay? But back when I was a kid, you know, you went and had eyeglass, you know, you had your eye exam, right? And, and uh, you know, back then they had the big E. Remember that? The big E. You pointed which way the E was pointing, right? And all I could see was the big E. That was it, you know? I mean, they got to the next line. I couldn't tell nothing, you know? And so I went and got glasses. Like, holy cow, man. I, thought, I didn't know I was blind. I just figured I was stupid, you know? And, like, I, I, and so, like, I, you know, I could, like, all of a sudden I could see, you know? I went to school the next day, and all these kids were like, four eyes, four eyes. We moved all the time when I was a kid. I rarely ever had a friend. My brother was seven years older than me. I was a latchkey kid. And when I went to school that day and I got ridiculed, it probably wouldn't have affected most people, but it affected me. I had a lot of low self-esteem. I thought, man, you must be ugly. Nobody's ever going to want you. You're not attractive. You're not this and that. You're like, no, you're right. And uh, it was... It, from that point forward, it was like I fed on that. And, and you know, my brother, my brother, he always had this little saying, you know, and everything my brother said, I listened to. Because how many of you know people in your life who are over you, authority figures, people you look up to, they send you messages. When you're a kid, they send you messages, even after you get older. And, and you know, and you buy into those messages and you form what we call in counseling faulty core beliefs. And my brother always told me, he said, gee, he, he called me G. he said, gee, he said, uh, you know, you need to remember something. Your name is Duke, you was raised in Oak Cliff, and you're always going to get the short end of the Hershey bar. In other words, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter how hard you try, you're always going to get the rug jerked out from under you, buddy, because that's who we are. And so at an early age, in my teenage years, I determined that it didn't really matter what I was going to achieve. There wasn't no sense in trying to achieve anything because sooner or later somebody's going to come and take it away from us anyhow. 
And so I might as well just live for the day, be as crazy and as wild and as self-gratifying as I possibly can be, and let the chips fall where they may. That's what you call a faulty core belief. That took me to prison. It took me through 13 years of drug abuse. It took me a lot of places that I didn't need to go. It was baggage, man. It was baggage. It was baggage that somebody packed in my life that I really didn't need. Are y'all following me so far? Real talk. Pa baggage from the past is probably some of the most uh, pertinent baggage in our life. It comes from uh, family dysfunction, uh, poor parenting, negative messages, abuse that has taken place in your life. Abuse. Physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. People taking advantage of you when you were vulnerable and weak and you, didn't ha you couldn't say anything. You know, I, I deal with sex offenders every day. That's my job, you know? But, and people think, well, how can you do that? You know, what, they, you know, like I'm an advocate for them or something. No, I'm not. I recognize what they do is horrible, you know? I'm trying to help them to never do it again and make sure that another child is never victimized. If I can, I've done this 15 years, and if I can feel in my heart that I kept one kid from being victimized, it will be worth it all. Because it is the most horrible thing that can possibly happen to a child. Your voice is taken away. Your personage is, is violated. You have no free will. You have no rights. And many people in this room, I can guarantee you, probably can attest to that. Because in a crowd this high, I went to a conference last week and it was on male sexual abuse. And did you know that almost five out of 10 males have been sexually abused or sexually assaulted by the time they reach 18? Males, not females. With females, it's closer to seven out of 10. We live in a society where children are being victimized constantly. Amen. And, 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 and that's baggage. Man, it gets put in our life and, and it's so shameful. We, we, we connect it with shame and embarrassment and guilt. And we don't want to tell nobody, especially if you're a guy. I mean, that's the last thing you want to do is disclose to somebody that some other male touched you. And if it's a female that did it, hello, you know, you, you're supposed to act like it was okay. Are, are y'all following? I told you, real talk, right? That's baggage. That's baggage. How does it play out in your life? Man, it, uh, more ways than I got time to tell you right now drug abuse, sibling rivalry, constant conflict in your family, growing up in a home where everybody's yelling at each other and fighting with each other and nobody respects nobody, where nobody affirms you and tells you that you are somebody that can achieve something, that you have potential. Listen, I don't want my grandkids to be ordinary. I want them to be extraordinary. I don't want them just to be average. I want them to be above average. Amen. I want them to know that they have been made in the image of God and that God has a plan for their life. Amen. And that no matter what happens in their life, that God is still on their side. Are y'all following me today? These are the messages that need to be sent. Otherwise, we get this baggage packed, packed into our life. Unhealthy previous relationships, abortion. Inf you know, we don't talk about it, you know? Like, nobody ever gets an abortion? Yeah, a lot of people have gotten abortions. How do they deal with that afterwards? I'm not for it, but I'm for the person who is hurting. Hello? You know, and when, when, when we have people that are, you know, something occurs in their life, a miscarriage, 
You know, I think that's one of the biggest travesties. People have miscarriages and, and you know, it's like, it's, you know, maybe somebody says something to them to try to help them a little bit, but for the most part, it's like, oh, well, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Hello? It's not for that person. They've got baggage, man. They've got hurt. They've got pain. They've got situations that they don't know how to deal with, and it doesn't really seem like anybody's coming along beside of them to help them. Unpacking the baggage of our future. So well, how do you get baggage in your future? Any control freaks in the room? <laughs> huh? Yeah. You know, um, my son-in-law, Dustin, uh, you know, when he first got married to my wife, uh, I mean my wife, my, my daughter, let's get that started. We ain't got that kind of baggage, let me think. All right. When he, he first got married to my daughter. You know, I respect him so much. He is so responsible. He cares about my, my wife, or my daughter and my kids. And he wants to make sure that they're well taken care of, that the bills are paid, that everything that he can think of is going to be laid out for them, you know? And I remember right when we, when, when we after they got married and we started talking to one another, and, you know, and, and he was like thinking, trying to think ahead, you know, every situation. And, you know, I told him one day, I said, man, I really appreciate the responsibility that you take and the concern that you have to make sure your family's taken care of. But you've got to understand something. There's no way you can plan out every moment of your life. I mean, there are things that are going to happen that's out of your control. That's where faith comes in. Okay? I mean, you know, you'd, I'd like to be able to say that I could make sure that everything's going to be safe and perfect, but it's not going to happen like that because that ain't the way life is. You know, and so oftentimes our, our, our baggage of the future has to do with unrealistic expectations, financial insecurity, how's things going to work out? What, you know, how am I going to make enough money to do this or do that or where will I go to school? You know, all these various things, possible health issues, disappointing outcomes in regards to relationships. You know, people form these faulty core beliefs. Well, the last two girlfriends that I had cheated on me, so all women must not be able to be trusted. That's not true. You know, that's not true. And, and so many different things occur that we pack this baggage in to our life, our employment, even ministry. Oh, ministry? Yeah, ministry. I was a pastor for 18 years, okay? I think it was 18 Twelve in one spot, three in another, two in a couple of places. Anyway, close enough. Man, I want, you want to know baggage? You want to know baggage? Let me tell you. The life of the pastor is not easy. Okay? You deal with a lot of people. And there's a lot of betrayal that goes on. And a lot of backstabbing. And a lot of backtalking. Thankfully, that doesn't happen in our church. Not that I'm aware of. Thank God for that. But I'm going to tell you something. There's still a lot of struggles. And so, uh, it, you know, and people hurt you, you know, and they betray you. Man, I had, a, I had a situation happen a couple of years ago where, you know, I was betrayed by someone who I thought to be a very close friend, and then it followed up with some very hurt feelings from some other friends. And, and you know what? I just, you know, man, it just, it just drove me for a bit. 
You know, because sometimes you form relationships with people and you invest in those relationships and you think to yourself that, you know what, if I pour my love in and I'm genuine and I'm honest and I'm open and I'm helpful and I'm kind and I do everything I'm supposed to do, that they're naturally going to reciprocate that. And I got news for you today. That ain't the way it always happens. Sometimes you can invest in people right down to the very core of your heart and come to find out, you know, even over a 10-year a, a period of time, and you find out that, you know what, you, their relationship was based on something other than what your relationship was based on. Their relationship was based on what they were getting out of you. Your relationship was based on what you were giving. That ends badly often. Can y'all follow me? Amen? And when that happens, you feel foolish and you feel hurt and angry. And what do you do with all that? Do you just pack it up? Do you tell yourself, well, I'm just never going to invest in anybody again. I'm never going to try to love someone again. You know, I'll just pack it in here and I'll just keep that hurt and anger. And you know what? It turns into anger and bitterness and rage. And pretty soon you're like that pot of beans. You, ever, you know what? I love making red beans, don't you? What do they call them here? Pinto beans, brown beans? I don't know. Texas, we call them red beans. But, you know, you put them beans in the pot and you get the water boiling, right? And you know what? Once that water's boiling, you put that lid on the top and you can turn that fire down so low that if you turn it anymore, the fire will go out. You been there? Come on, somebody help me. <laughs> My Lord, let's cook some beans. And... And, and, and the fire is so low that if you turn that knob anymore, man, it, there ain't even going to be no gas, you know. But that water is still boiling, and the lid on that pan is just kind of dancing on top of there. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And you turn it up just a hair, and you know what's going to happen? It's going to boil over. It's going to boil over. And that's the way some of us, our bags are packed with anger. And, and you know what? It's just right there on that simmer. It's on that simmer spot all the time. It's like an aerosol can. All it takes is somebody to push the button, and man, we're going to spew stuff everywhere. You know? It, it's always there. And usually it has nothing to do with the people we spew it on. It has to do with the things that we packed inside of our life that we've never dealt with. It, it, the anger that we've been carrying around with us for so long that's just underneath our skin, just skin level. And all it takes is just one little thing. And the next thing you know, man, we are a raging lunatic. Hello. Of course, that's none of you, I know. Unpacking the baggage of the present. Say, do I have baggage in my present? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what's going on in your home? What's going on with your marriage and in your relationship? What is, what is something that's occurring in your life, your, your money, your, your money situation, your financial future, you sit, you know, right now, everything that's occurring right now is like baggage that it just attaches itself to us. So well, how do you deal with that, you know, Gary? I mean, you know, I mean, like, man, you're living life. How do you, how do, you do it? I mean, you know, life is still going to happen with, with or without you. Well, you know, I read the scripture, right? Casting our cares upon Him. Casting our cares upon... God never intended for us to, to tote around this baggage. This was not His plan for our life. Okay? That was not His plan. 
I, Art Linkletter had a show one time. Doug will remember because he's older than me. Uh, and, but Art Linkletter had a show one time. It was entitled, uh, Kids Say the Darndest Things. And, and so it was a cool little show because it didn't need a script. You know, they lined these little four, five, six-year-old kids up there. <laughs> huh? And Art just kind of conversed with them. And he didn't have to wonder whether they was going to come up with something funny. They always came up with something funny. Because that's the way kids are. They're just funny, you know. And, and so, like, one day he had, to, he was, had this show and he had this little girl. And, and he said, honey, you look a little sad today. He said, uh, you know, are, are, are you sad? And she goes, and she kind of poked out a little lip, you know. And she said, yeah. She said, my puppy died. And she, he said, oh, I'm so sorry your puppy died. And he said, uh, but, he, you know, he's in heaven. And she looked at him. She goes, in heaven? And he goes, yeah. And, and she said, why would God want a dead dog? <laughs> God don't want no dead dog. Why would we want to carry around all this baggage? I mean, Why? What purpose is it? All it does is stink up our lives, man. It's dead weight. The Bible says to cast off every weight and sin which does so easily beset us. Not everything that, that we haul around is a sin. Some of it's just dead weight, y'all. I mean, we've had anchors tied to our rear end that somebody put there for so long and we can't figure out why we can't make any progress in our relationship. We can't make any progress in our home. We've still got addiction problems going on. We can't seem to get our minds straight. Hey, you know what? It's because that baggage is attached to us and we need to cut loose. We need to cut it loose. We need to cut it loose. Baggage uh, is attached, uh, you know, there's three things that really probably uh, has more to do with this than anything else. And, and I, 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 you know, it's really emerges into human behavior. And that is perception, thoughts, and feelings. Because how we perceive something, how we perceive something is usually how we think and feel about it. And when we perceive something wrong, Okay? We think and feel wrong. And when we do that, we usually end up acting wrong. Self-gratification, the cycle of self-gratification occurs when we feel like we have a perceived need, usually it's emotional, and, and we look and we feel like that the person that should be meeting that need is not meeting it. Okay? And so they may not even know we have this need. You know, we haven't told them. We just assume they ought to know, man. They ought to know I'm hurting. They ought to know that I'm lonely. They ought to know I feel unattractive. Why are they not making me feel better about me? And so we don't say anything to them about it. They're living life. And after a little bit, after a while, there's something that clicks in the back of our brain that says, well, hey, you know what? If the person that I think is supposed to meet this need is not going to meet it, then apparently I'm going to have to meet it myself. Because I deserve something. I deserve better than this. And you know what emerges out of that? Drugs, alcohol, sexual promiscuity, affairs, all sorts of things occur as a result of that because we are perceiving things in a wrong way. Our perception is wrong. Sometimes we need a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift is like this. Uh, Stephen Covey wrote a book entitled Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And um, 
In that book, he tells about a story about uh, how to describe a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift is, you know, our mind filters information like a grid. It's based on our past experiences and relationships and, and various information that we've already gotten. And, uh, and he describes it like this. There was this guy that was on this subway train in Chicago. Did I already tell you this story? I'm like, man, I, I wish I was younger so I could remember. And, and, uh, but and this guy was on this subway train in Chicago, and, and it was a Sunday morning. Everything was going good. It was a pleasant ride. You know, he was just reading his newspaper, enjoying it. Wasn't too many people on the car. And all of a sudden, they stop at the stop, and this guy gets on this subway car with like three or four little boys. And, and, you know, the, the guy sits down right next to this guy with the newspaper, you know. And they take off, and the little kids are running up and down the aisles. They're throwing things at each other. They're making all kinds of racket. I mean, you know, it went from a pleasant little ride to, a, to chaos in a matter of moments. And the guy reading the newspaper is just getting steadily more irritated. And he looked over at the, at the dad who seemed totally oblivious to the behavior of his children. And he said, uh, sir... I don't know if you know it or not, but your children are really unruly. He said, don't you think you should do something about it? And the dad kind of looked up and he, he looked at him and he looked over at the gentleman with the newspaper and he said, I'm sorry, sir. He said, we just left the hospital and they just lost their mom. He said, I guess they just don't know how to act. Wow, that's a paradigm shift. That's when the same situation is seen through a little different spectrum. And sometimes we perceive things in a wrong way. You know what? People around us will cause us to perceive things in a wrong way. Anybody have any negative people in your life? Can I tell you something? They're a form of baggage. <laughs> I'm not saying you shouldn't love them, you shouldn't pray for them, or that you shouldn't care about them. What I'm telling you is that if you allow them, they will bring you down, man. I mean, they will cause your perception to be all wrong. Because their perception is wrong, they want you to see like they see. They're going down the tube, they want to take you with them. Hello? And, and so, so many times, you know, I mean, like negativity is just, you know, uh, in counseling we have a thing called reframing. You know, it's like when you take the picture, you can't change the picture. The picture is what it is. Sam will tell you, when you paint a picture, it's going to be a picture. Unless you screw it up, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, but, but the frame that you put around that picture makes all the difference in the world. Amen. And so sometimes we just need to reframe it. And we need to look at it from a different perspective and see a little different perception. Because if we change our perception, we're going to change our thoughts. How we think, let me tell you something about the Bible. The Bible is probably the greatest book on counseling that has ever been written. Bar none. Jesus was the best counselor that'll ever, that'll ever be. He is the wonderful counselor, is what the Word of God calls him. Hello. And, and the Bible tells us, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You know, he says, bring every thought into, into subjection, to, into obedience unto Jesus Christ. Bring every thought into captivity. That's what the Word of God says. Let your mind be transformed, huh? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, you know, uh, uh, think on these things, those things that are lovely and pure and honest and just and lovely and of good report and of virtue. Those are the things that we're supposed to think of. You say, well, what are you saying? I'm saying that we have control over how we deal with the stuff in our life. Not only do we need to get rid of them and drop them at the cross 
But we need to make sure that we keep our mind on a right plane each and every day so that we don't allow other people to put more baggage in our life than we already got. Amen? I know I shared this with you before probably, but I'm going to share it again because it's probably one of the most important things I could tell you. Happy, helpful, hopeful. Happy, helpful, hopeful. If, you, if you're taking notes and you ain't took nothing yet, write that down. Happy, helpful, hopeful. So what is it? I'll tell you what it is. It's a means of keeping your mind straight. The Lord gave me this several years ago when I was basically suicidal. I'm probably the biggest wreck in this room. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I have had more baggage in my life than you can even think of. And, and so I've worked through this baggage through 32 years. And I was in a situation that was financially debilitating. And man, I started getting so depressed. And I mean, I literally, I, I know the devil was at work, but I mean, I literally started sitting around thinking about offing myself, you know. And in the middle of all this, God gave me this, which was awesome. And, and, you know, uh, it, it's, it, it's about my past, my present, and my future. Happy, helpful, hopeful. And it all has to do with your thought life. Because if I'm sitting around thinking about something in my past that's not happy, I can guarantee you it's going to create some kind of depression for me. Now, if you've got clinical depression, I, I'm not, you need to be taking your medication, okay? And I don't mean that in a mean way. What I'm saying is there's a difference between physiological, clinical depression and people that are just letting their thought life depress them. That's what I'm saying, okay? And, but for me, it had to do with my thought life. And, and, and the Lord showed me, He said, you know, when you are thinking about something in the past, it's a memory. I have good memories and bad memories. Okay, I have the right to choose what memory I'm going to think about. And so if I'm driving down the road and I start thinking about a bad memory, you know what? I tell myself, happy, helpful, hopeful. In other words, I don't, I'm not going there. There's too many happy memories that I've had that I, can, that I can think about. Why would I sit around and think about something that's going to depress me? That does not make sense. All that does is feed into the baggage that I've already got. Because you ain't never going to unload all your baggage. Hello, I wish I could tell you will, but you won't. You know, not till we get to heaven, you know. But if I think about something in the future that, that's not hopeful, okay, that's going to create anxiety for me. I could, man, I could sit here right now and I could begin to think about the fact that I'm 62 years old, that I don't have any medical insurance, that I don't have any savings to really to speak of, that I don't have a retirement plan, you know, and that if I lose my job tomorrow, within two or three weeks, I'm going to be figuring out how to sell my house because I can't pay the mortgage. I could tell you all that. It'd all be true. <laughs> but what good would that be for me to sit around and think about that stuff? Let me tell you something. I could work myself clean up and do a really good panic attack right now. But I don't want to hyperventilate in front of you guys with a paper bag. I don't do that. Man, if I'm, going to, if I'm driving down the road and I start thinking about something in the future that is creating anxiety for me, if it's not hopeful, when I can think about so many things that are hopeful... You know, I, I you know, I can sit around and think about taking my wife somewhere that we've never been before. You know, my dream vacation of playing golf in the British Isles in every country. It's never going to happen probably, but it's a nice thought. Hello. You know, or teaching my little grandsons how to hit a, a straight golf shot. Or, or fishing or camping or doing whatever. Seeing my next grandchild when she's born if, he, if they ever get around to it. 
you know. Those are the things that I want to think about, you know. I have the choice as to what I'm going to think about in my future. It hadn't even happened yet, and it may not happen. And the things we worry about, what did Jesus say? Take no thought for tomorrow. You know, Jesus told his disciples one time, he said, my time is not yet, yours is any time. Buddy, you could go, you might not even make it through today. You better be happy, you know. I know when I'm going, you know, Christ knew when he was going to go to the cross. You know, he said, your, your number's up when we tell you it's up. You don't know. So you might as well make the best of it, you know. Don't spend your days drugged down with baggage when you can spend your days giving God praise and being all that God created you to be. The last thing is in your present. Happy, helpful, hopeful. If you're thinking about anything, it should be helpful. If it's not helpful, it's not worth thinking about. What are you saying? I'm saying don't dwell on stuff that's negative. Don't sit around and think about stuff that, that you know, could cause problems for you. You know, anger and, and lustful thinking and whatever. If it's not helpful to me and it's not helpful to somebody else, it's really not worth going there. I mean, we only got 24 hours in a day and about 16 of them were awake. You know, we need to spend our time thinking about something that's going to be beneficial to either myself or somebody else. I need to be about the master's business. Amen. I want to finish up by telling you something here. Um, as soon as I find the other page to this. Here's some things real quick I'm going to share with you and then we're going to close. These are some thoughts, and I'll be happy to get these to you if, if you don't want to write them down. I'm going to hit them really quick because there's something we want to do here at the end. The first thing is, is choose to forgive, not to forget. Can I tell you something? You ain't ever going to forget those hurts. That, you know, the Bible says that God chooses to cast our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. He can do that. He can choose to forget. You're never going to forget. You know? But you can forgive. You can forgive. That you can do. And so choose to forgive, not to forget. Jensen Franklin said, Forgiving, forgiveness is not about keeping score, it's about losing count. I like that. Forgiveness is not about keeping score, it's about losing count. Stop seeing yourself as unique or as a poster child for victimization. You know what? Too many times our baggage, we, we're, we're proud of our bags, you know? We want people to know that we've been hurt, we've been betrayed, we've been this or we've been that, and it's like we want to be the poster child for victimization. Stop being a victim, man. You know, I don't even want you to be a survivor. I want you to be a thriver. Jesus said that, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Abundant life is not about living a victimization life. Are you hearing me? It's about being an overcomer and being victorious. Compare your situation with the life and words of Jesus Christ. You know what? When you start thinking about what a raw deal you got, think about Him. Think about Him and think about His words when He looked at the disciples and said, hey, they hate me, they're going to hate you. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. Huh? He said, you know what? The, Lord, the, the servant is not above the master. They're going, to, they're going to throw me in front of the courts. They're going to throw you in front of the courts. Don't think you're going to get a better deal than me. Come on. 
I remember when I was pastoring one time. Ah, you know, I'll tell you that. Okay. I don't have time. Okay, look, look like who you are, not who you have been. Look like who you are. Who does God say you are? You're a child of the living King. Man, you've been made more than a conqueror. We are, we are a, a servant of the Almighty God. God is good master. Hello. Allow God to settle your accounts. I love when he wrote to the Thessalonians as they was going through persecution. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he said, listen, God, I'm paraphrasing. He said, don't worry about anything. God's going to take care of it all. God will take care of it. You say, well, you don't know what that person's done to me. Let, me. let me tell you something. My daddy-in-law used to say, God keeps really good books. He keeps good books. You know, he will settle the account. If you're worried about somebody getting what they got coming to them, let God take care of it. Hopefully they'll come to know him and their account will be settled like yours was. Amen? But if, there, if not, believe me, he will take care of it. There's no reason why you got to think you got to be the person who's going to bring the punishment upon them. Don't try to hide your baggage. Because i got a newsflash for you. It's way more obvious than you think it is. <laughs> if you think you're walking around and nobody knows you got baggage, you're wrong, man. Listen... Man, I remember one time I was pastoring, and I, I, I had some stuff going on, and I, set, I came over to the church early one morning before church, and I was just sitting there. I was lowering a mole, and I was beat down, and, and, and the guy that lived across the highway from us was just an humble, sweet Christian man. I spent 12 days in El Salvador with him. He was just an awesome individual, but he was just a churchgoer. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a deacon. He was just a solid, good, steady, eddy church member, you know? Can't beat them. Wished I'd have had a hundred of them. We could have turned the world upside down. And he walked into that room, and he would, a lot of times he'd walk across the, the highway and just come, you know, walk in early. And, but he came in extra early that morning, and I was sitting there on the step and the, on the platform, and I looked up and I seen Marty walk in the door. And boy, I put my pastor smile on. Hey, Marty, how are you? He looked at me and he come walking down that aisle, tears streaming down his face. He said, I'm here to pray for you, Pastor, because I know you got stuff going on. God, my, my stuff wasn't getting hid behind that little fake smile. He knew I had stuff happening. He'd been praying for me already. Your baggage ain't that invisible. People know when you got it. All we're waiting for you to do is acknowledge it yourself so you can get some help. Amen? The last thing is make the commitment to spiritually declutter. Make the commitment to spiritually declutter. My wife used to do a little deal. She's done all sorts of stuff, but she had a little thing called, she was the decluttering diva. And so there was a few people that paid her to come over and help get rid of their stuff, you know, because you know what? People got stuff they don't know how to get rid of. It's like, man, how do I get rid of this? You know, like I got a box in my attic that belonged to my brother, and it had all of these plaques and awards and stuff. It's still up there. You know, every so often I'll bring it down, and I'll think, man, what do you do with this? You know, I mean, no, it's not worth anything. He's, he can't enjoy it no more. He's dead. It don't mean nothing to me, but because it's attached to him, I can't seem to throw it away, you know? But you know, somebody she when she was doing her little decluttering thing, she told me one time, she goes, I said, how do you do that? She said, well, she said, the first thing is, if somebody hasn't used it in such a period of time, if it's not useful to them, they need to get rid of it. 
You know, why hold on to something that you can't use? Why hold on to something that's not going to help you? Why hold on to something you can't use? All it's doing is taking up space in your life, man. It's just dragging you down. Amen. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I don't know if this has touched anybody's heart or if the Holy Spirit has pricked your heartstrings at all today. But you know what? Here's, here's, here's my goal today. I'd love to say that today you're going to walk up here and you're going to get a miracle. And that, you know, just like that, everything in your life that's negative is just going to go away and you're just going to be set free. And you know what? God could do that because He's God. He can do anything He well pleases. Amen. I'm a, I'm a believer in miracles. But I would say more than likely, more than likely, today, the greatest thing that could happen would be if somebody in this room or several somebodies decided that today was a day that they're going to make a commitment to unpack their bags. That they're getting ready, that they're going to let God begin a process in your life and we will help you. And I'm going to tell you something. Last week when Pastor got up here and started speaking, he started talking about this series on lamenting. You know, my first thought was, oh, God, that's going to be a downer. You know? But when he got up here and started speaking, so all of a sudden, there was a little man inside of me that started doing backflips, and God began to prick my heart and show me something. And he said, you know what? This is how I'm going to do heart surgery. Folks, this is where God does heart surgery. When we be, you know what true revival is? I grew up in, I'm Pentecostal. I grew up in, I pastored Pentecostal church. We called revival when the evangelists came in and spit and hollered and blowed up and, you know, and, you, and we had loud music and maybe somebody got saved and, and whatever. But that's not revival. You know, that's not revival. That's evangelism maybe, but that's not revival. And sometimes it's just emotionalism, okay? But let me tell you what revival is. Revival is when the body of Christ allows God to take us deeper into His love and His, and His embrace and let Him begin to do healing in our lives. That, man, that's revival right there, dude. It don't get no better than that. Because when He takes us deeper, we'll be able to affect other people more. The people that need to hear the gospel will see God's work in our life and they will reflect that. So today, what I've asked is Mr. Khalif back there to please, uh, we're going to turn the lights down. There's a song that I specifically picked out for this evening, or this morning. And, um, and I told him, I said, and I've spoken with Pastor, and, and I said, you know, I don't know what will happen. Maybe somebody will have the boldness and courage to take that step today. Maybe they won't. Maybe there will be several somebodies. I'll be honest with you, I shared this message once before in Houston at a friend of mine's, and we ran out of luggage. We had people that were writing stuff on paper and bringing it to the cross. Symbolism is a powerful thing. Symbol, as a counselor, we have people write letters, bury them, burn them, whatever. Is, does that make it go away? No. But it tells them that today is the day. This is a benchmark. I can look back to today and I can say that was the day that the process started. This day is going to be different than every other day the rest of my life because today I'm making a commitment. That's what this is about. And so as, we, as he lowers those lights and he begins to play this song, if you feel led and would like to, I want to encourage you to come up here, it doesn't matter which one, 
take a piece of this luggage, bring it over, set it in front of this cross. If you'd like to find a place to kneel here in the front and pray some, that'd be great too. I think that would be appropriate. But I want to give you that opportunity. And once the song is over, and if there's people praying, I want you to know that we're not going to rush you. I asked Khalif, just loop the song. And if you have to leave, you've got something going on, that's totally fine. Let me invite you to just please do so reverently. Amen. God bless you guys.